welcome. My name is Robert. And I'm Foster. And this is the All Sissy Podcast, where we take an actor or director from an upcoming release and talk about one of their other movies that may not be as well known. This week, we're basing our topic on Dune Part 2, directed by Denis Villeneuve. Uh, there's my best French-Canadian. You've seen Dune Part 1, Arrival, Sicario, and more. And I'm sure you've heard people talk about them in real life and on podcasts just like this one. But before Denis began making his big-budget Hollywood movies, he was making some smaller movies in Canada. And we are here to talk about Polytechnique. The synopsis from IMDb reads, A dramatization of the 1989 Montreal ma- Massacre, during which several female engineering students were murdered by an unstable misogynist. So, um, <laughs> heavy stuff, obviously. Yeah, wh- what did you think, Foster? What did you think of Polytechnique? Um, I thought this was a good movie um, that didn't completely, you know, move me in the way that I feel like it should have. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, it sort of grew on me as the movie went on. I feel like the the second half kind of brought it home for me. Um, I mean, I, of course, I saw your Letterboxd review. So there, I think we're going to sure. have some similar criticisms possibly about the maybe over stylization a little bit that we can mm-hmm. get into with the given the subject matter and that that's something that I was feeling at least for the first half that I wasn't completely like lost in the movie because it is so, so stylized, not so stylized, but for the subject matter. So um, I'll shut up now. What did you, what did you think about it? And then I can talk more later. No, I, I think I had the same reaction, <laughs> but opposite in terms of the runtime. Like in the beginning, I was fairly into it. It had me hooked on the subject matter but as it went on, I don't know if the visual stylization is what bothered me necessarily, um, because I don't mind visual flair in a in a important movie. Yes, visual flair like like that. I don't mind visual flair in like a, a movie about a heavy topic like Polytechnique. Um, it's the over dramatization I think in the screenplay, and now I should have looked up the screenplay or who wrote it. Did Villeneuve write it or? So there's three writers. Denis Villeneuve is one of the writers, and then uh, two other people who don't seem to have worked on much else. Okay. Well, I don't mean to bash people who don't who haven't worked on much else, but it did bug me that it starts off by I've Jake, who's been on the podcast before. He and I have talked about this. We have a similar frustration when a movie kind of starts somewhere in the middle and then flashes back to the beginning. Uh-huh. And it's not yeah. like the freeze frame record scratch. Let's see how I got into the situation. It's just kind of, it does it. Um, Christopher Nolan does it a lot. Like most of his movies, he does it. And this one really bugged me because it just starts with the shock of someone getting shot in a school shooting. A, a, a It's a college, but still. Um, and then it <laughs> cuts to the, the killer going about his morning routine. And if it had started there, that would have been a different thing. But you're going to get to that violence and that gore and that horror very quickly, especially the movie's only 77 minutes. So like you don't have much time to mess around before you get into the meat of your story. So doing that with the shock and then cutting back to the beginning really bugged me because it just felt like playing too loose with, like you said, with the subject matter. And then as it goes on and it sticks in three different people or groups of people's points of view. So there's the killer and the main, like, I just want to call him the hero guy because that's how he's presented 
Um, even though he has guilt about it at the end, he's still kind of like, there's one good person here and we follow him for some reason. And of course, this duo of women, the one who survives and we follow her until the end. So it's not that I don't think we should have seen the killer's point of view or that we shouldn't be looking at what happens with one of the men who survives a shooting targeted at women by a misogynist. Um, It's just that, again, when it's 77 minutes and you were already being so dramatic with the opening, uh, you know, that opening shot of of the people getting shot, then it really stretches it too thin. And it just feels like you're being heightened and dramatic and melodramatic about something that could have been handled more deftly, I thought. Yep. No, I agree with pretty much all of that. Uh, I feel like just cut out the first 30 seconds of the movie and it's like significantly more impactful for me because um, you know where it's leading anyways. Um, Especially with the opening I, title card. It tells you what the movie's about. I don't even remember the opening title card. What it, it, say? it says that there's a school shooting, the name, but the names are changed to protect, to protect those oh, yeah, involved. Yeah, yeah. Or in yes, honor yes, of those yes. involved. Yes. Um, one thing I didn't know, uh, I, I guess I should have assumed going into into the movie but like definitively looking it up afterwards the opening monologue i know this is not what you were talking about this is just a separate point um the opening monologue that the school shooter guy um is reading the note he's reading is his actual suicide note like the actual guy like verbatim because like i just went on like a wikipedia spree after the movie was over to Mm kind of like look into the story and stuff and then um you can like find the full note up online it's um pretty weird (laughs) sure um uh the um the like intercutting different stories you know where like one story will end and then it'll cut back and you'll realize oh this is the same story but now we're from a different person's point of view and they like kind of overlap at different points throughout the movie a little bit Did, have you seen the movie elephant i uh, haven't the, but i saw a lot of people referencing it uh, yeah so i watched this yeah, I watched this like two years ago, maybe. And um, it is impossible not to compare. Um, and it can, yeah, it feels a little icky to be like, you know, this school shooting movie is not as good as the other school shooting movie. Yeah. It's like a weird thing but, to compare, but it's right. just done so much more sensitively, I find. Mm-hmm. However, mm-hmm. it's worth noting that like any movie that covers this topic is going to have extreme reactions on both sides. And I sure. remember like when yeah. I watched elephant for the first time, I was pretty impacted by it and I thought it was a very well done movie, but then like going on letterboxd, there's a huge range of opinions. And of course there's like a lot of reactionary one star reviews because they feel that it's exploitative, which I personally didn't feel, but um, mm. the way that's done has a similar kind of storyline cross cutting thing where that this movie does. And so it's like, it almost feels like, um, Polytechnique is trying to do the elephant thing, but it's not quite as successful or original to me as it was an elephant. Um, and I also think that uh, just the way elephant is shot, it is in color and it also has kind of like a, almost feels like a low budget, like video camera sort of aesthetic. Mm-hmm. It makes it feel very, very real. And you're sort of just with the characters kind of experiencing a normal school day until eventually the shooting happens. Um, and it really, really kind of puts you there. Whereas for me, with the uh, with uh, Villeneuve style in this movie, I felt like I was at a little bit more of a distance um, mm-hmm. for some of it because he is doing a lot of stuff with the camera, um, and he is like like the camera twists and turns at a couple points, or like yeah. um, 
I was reminded of some of his other movies. Like there's shots like looking into a car window, but the rain is coming down the car window and I'm thinking of prisoners or there's even like snow outside with cars. And I'm thinking of the end of Blade Runner 2049. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I'm just thinking like, this probably isn't what I should be thinking about right now with this movie. That was, that's my takeaway in my opinion. Um, I have more to say about it later, but I just sure. want to pass it off to you if you have any thoughts. Well, uh, I have a response to each one of your points there. One about um, the letter. This isn't about uh, the movie itself, but about the letter itself. Yeah. That just like in a real world sense, my mm. job is as an essay tutor. So just listening to that, it was just, and part of my job as an essay tutor is to uh, critique arguments and help students, you know, um, improve their arguments and, and their logic and their reasoning. It's, I had so many things, obviously, like, it's just someone who, we don't know much yeah. about his backstory, but he's someone who probably has had many things that led him to these conclusions. Um, so <laughs> the comments from a lowly essay tutor wouldn't necessarily do anything, but it's just crazy to just, just in general, again, in real life, to think about someone having those attitudes when there are easy, logical rebuttals to a lot of those points. So in that sense, I, that's kind of where I was on the movie side. Um, because it kind of, it, it helps you identify with the senselessness of the act, just knowing that this is all the result of someone having this kind of mindset and these specific thoughts. Um, and this is the person who brings all this death, destruction and uh, injury and horror and all these things. So that should have or that it did, like I said, it did start off the movie on a good foot for me, apart from that very opening shot. Then, as for what you were saying about the style and Elephant, I haven't seen Elephant, like I said, um, but a movie that I, I was thinking about a lot, I don't know if you've seen this, was Hotel Mumbai. It's from 2018 or 19. Um, the director, I've never seen anything else from him. I don't know if he really has much. It stars Dev Patel and um, Army Hammer, so it has two decent names even though there's baggage with army hammer now but at the time there were a couple you know a couple decent names um and it's about a terrorist attack at a hotel in mumbai obviously and that one really puts you in the in the mindset of the victims the people who were in this hotel being terrorized by terrorists um it it puts you in the pov of the terrorists very quickly at the beginning but then the rest of the time I, I remember reviewing it and just saying I've never identified with victims of such an act in the way that I did in this movie. Um, so it's really weird to think of that one for me because it, that one also has style and it has great actors giving good performances, just like Polytechnique does. I don't want to take away from the actors. Um, but it feels like the director and screenwriter in Polytechnique are putting this, themselves ahead of the story um and i do think that there is a bit of a responsibility when you're telling a story such as a terrorist attack or a school shooting so it's a little bit rough for me to look at polytechnique this way especially being a decent phil Nove fan i've learned my lesson not to use specific movies as a skeleton key for the rest of a director's filmography because i kind of did that for a minute with christopher nolan where i was like oh man i really don't like tenet are the rest of his movies actually bad too? Um, and I've kind of reevaluated how I thought about them. 
but then I watched Oppenheimer and I was like, wait, now I have to go back and rethink about how I, how I think about his movies uh, in a positive sense. So I have just like not let myself do that anymore. And that's obviously a last few months thing. And with, I, I could have seen myself doing that with Polytechnique because I've seen a lot of the criticisms I'm having about Polytechnique are the typical criticisms that people have of other Villeneuve movies, you know, like the big visual style over substance, very empty on the inside. Um, and I don't always feel that about those, but I definitely feel it about this one. Um, so I'm trying not to say that it's across the board problem with him as a director, but it's pro- to me, it's something that he smoothed out and probably executes on better when the subject of the movie isn't, you know, such a heavy, serious one where you don't really want the style of the director to take over. Like it doesn't miss. Um, continuing on the style thing, um, part of what kind of turned me around a little bit in the second half was I just sort of had a like a switch or something that went off in my head and then also reading about the movie after after the fact where mm-hmm. um, I'm not this is not necessarily a response to you. I'm just making a broad statement about the movie, which is I think sure. yes, it is stylized, but it is not sensationalized. That was the kind of sort of key to unlocking this movie for me yeah. where, yeah. I do think that, um, again, especially after like reading the just the Wikipedia play by play of the events, it's pretty faithful to to what happens, like particularly the shooting. You know, I, I, I again, the characters I imagine are, are heavily fictionalized and like the journeys after the fact I, I would have to guess. I'm not sure. But um, yeah. I think when when I was watching like the last 10 minutes or so, there's a couple shots like there's the one where the shooter is. dying dead on the ground next to one of the victims in their pools of blood start to you know touch each other and the camera pulls back very dramatically and that's like a that's a very stylized moment or there's the final shot i think it's the final shot upside down on the school ceiling and it's like a tracking shot but it's like on the ceiling so like some of those shots i was thinking like hmm, what exactly is the point of, of doing something so stylized like this but then it sort of hit me i don't think i'm ever gonna forget those images you know, and that to me is almost part partly the point where um, I can't actually recall many specific images from the movie Elephant. I just remember the way it made me feel, but I'm never sure. going to forget like some of these images in this movie, even if it's not perfect for me. Um, and I think that's worth something as well. Like, you, you know, you kind of have to make a decision when you're filming. Like, clear, clearly, I think any anyone who's making this movie is doing so with honest intentions. I would, I would hope, you know, especially yeah, Denis yeah, Villeneuve. Yeah. So, I, I imagine he thought through this, you know, like, like very thoroughly, you know, his decision mm-hmm. to shoot the film like this. So, I don't know. I, I kind of came around on it a little bit, and I feel like I see where it was going. Yeah, go ahead. No, I see where it was going also. I just think that honest intentions, which I agree with you there. I don't think there's any malice involved. I just think that honest intentions can be misguided sometimes, right? Um, mm-hmm. Because to me, I got the point of the the blood scene and I got the point of the upside down shot at the end. Um, but frankly, with the blood scene or the blood shot, I was just thinking like, oh, screw you, movie. You're not doing that at this point. Not again, not Villeneuve himself, but the movie. I was just not having it at that point. Um, I get, I get what it's saying. Like we're all the same. We're all humans. We all bleed the same blood, and that's a great idea. But it was just when, again, the movie is seventy-seven minutes, and it feels like over two-thirds of the movie are spent not on the women, the actual victims of mm-hmm. the 
the the shooting itself. Again, I'm not trying to say it has to be one way or another. Like, it's just that when everything is spread out so thin over such a short amount of time, I don't know why. Like, it, maybe I'm misinformed here, but in your research that you were reading about, did you find that again this hero guy? Did he actually exist in some form? I don't. I don't. I'm, don't, I'm not sure to be honest with you. Because that, to me, that just felt like a, let's yeah. get us a, a character that we can relate to and understand. Um, mm-hmm. It just works so much better with the two women, right? Because yeah. they're just going about their days um, and it feels more grounded. Um, and not that the style of the filmmaking has to be grounded, but it feels more just, and not stylized, I mean, it just feels grounded and it feels honest. Um mm-hmm there being a hero going around trying to save people and failing and then, you know, doing what he does at the end. I understand the intention and I understand the urge to put in a storyline like that where the guy just feeling so bad about it. It just feels so misguided when that feels heightened and everything else doesn't. It just feels... I don't know how else to describe it other than to say it feels Hollywood. And that does to me feel a little bit sensationalized Um, him running around trying to get the bandages and all this kind of stuff. Um, I'll I'll agree. The other stuff, it doesn't feel sensationalized kind of like American sniper might feel sensationalized at some points, um, which is another similar type of trauma movie. I just left with a bad taste in my mouth with, if you're going to show me the victims at all, they just felt like an afterthought when we got a five minute peek at them, you know, getting ready for their day, getting dressed and all that at the beginning, which also was just when part of your opening shots of women are just like them in various stages of undress, getting dressed and then showing them killed. Like there are other ways to show them getting dressed than to show like wide shots of their entire bodies. They're not naked, but it like, it just felt weird in the looking back in the context of the whole movie. It, it was just a lot of it that felt I just didn't enjoy the feeling and not in the yeah. way the movie didn't want me to enjoy the feeling. Yeah. Um, one other, one thing I did uh, learn when reading about the movie was I think the woman who um, is alive at the end of the movie, like the subject of the last 10 minutes of the movie. Yeah. Um, I think she was one of the producers of the movie too. And apparently is the one who kind of recruited Denis Villeneuve to direct this movie. So that that also kind of changed my view a little bit um and makes me i mean this is i mean it is so obvious it doesn't need to be said but movies are not like just the director they're everybody oh, involved yeah. in in the making of them and i imagine she cuz 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 the, the just the wikipedia said that she did a lot of talking with the families and stuff you know mm-hmm. helping to to bring this movie um to fruition and so i think the I did think the last 10 to 15 minutes was pretty meaningful. I can understand uh, that it's like, it feels a little bit tacked on after following the stuff that, that you were mentioning, like with the hero character guy that's in the movie as well. But um, yeah, I don't know. I think what what it is for me is like, it's not perfect. Like I, I agree pretty much with everything you're saying, um, sure. but I think it sticks the landing for me in a way that I'm like, I see what the movie was going for. I don't think it's perfect, but I think it has honest intentions. And I think the depiction of the shooting to me is both sensitive and harrowing, like as it should be. And yeah, so I don't know, like an imperfect but worthwhile attempt is pretty much my conclusion. Yeah, I 
didn't think it's cynical. I'll give you that. Like I said, it's just honest intentions feeling a bit misguided. Um, if we want to relate it to a couple recent movies, Maestro feels cynical to me in terms of its style. These are two movies I don't like. Maestro I didn't really like. Also, Leave the World Behind I didn't like at all. But it felt like it's at least trying to do something with its style and it just none of it worked for me. Um, so I would put Polytechnique in the in the leave the world behind category where it's just like, I see what you're doing. Like you said, it just didn't work. Um, I will, I will say, I don't want to be fully negative because I didn't give it like one and a half stars or anything. I gave it two and a half and that's just like a good um, representative of, of what you think. Like the camera work at least is interesting at times, specifically the black and white. If anything, I thought the black and white worked the best out of all the visual choices take it it feels so dull and lifeless in this and i like the different ways that black and white can come across in different movies and in this case it's the lifeless it's the bleakness it's the hopelessness in addition to the snow um everything just feels so like i said bleak and lifeless i like there's a couple shots in the mirror i I, for some reason i always like the way that movies use mirrors to shoot and there's the one shot with the main woman in the bathroom and there's multiple mirrors and it kind of pans through all of her different reflections. And uh, that's a really good visual. And I, I thought that worked really well. Other than that, I kind of, it, it just didn't work. I think I've exhausted everything I wanted to say. It just ultimately didn't work for me. One thing just about the black and white, this was mm-hmm. at the start of the movie. I was having a, a feeling of like, the same thing I was thinking with the other stylized elements. I was like, is this just yet another way of kind of stylizing the movie in a way that kind of distances me from what's from the emotion of what's happening. But um, like with some of the other stylized elements, I kind of uh, fell into appreciating it as it went on. But the the thing I want to bring up is apparently the choice to use black and white was specifically to avoid um, like an overabundance of red blood on the screen as a result of the shooting. And when I read when I read that, I was like, that makes a lot of sense because like there's quite a lot of violence that's that's in this movie. Um, like like they don't really shy away from it at all. And I think that if it were in color, I'm I'm thinking back now and I'm like, oh, yeah, that would be like it would feel exploitative and it would feel like really over the top almost. But I think the black and white helps it not feel that way as much for me. And even when that's the intention, it does a good job of also making you feel what I was talking about. So it's not just like practical it has a good effect Mm -hmm. too Mm -hmm. um last thing i watched this on tubi did you also watch this on tubi (laughs) unfortunately that was my only way yeah i know yeah and there are commercials every so often on tubi and i have to say there are um uh there are better ways of watching uh the movie polytechnique than having your (laughs) school shooting movie interrupted by commercials for febreze fabric softener every 25 minutes (laughs) i just have to say it was quite quite a whiplash (laughs) tubi isn't as bad as some of the other ones like the roku channel or freebie which are like every seven minutes it feels like i think there are maybe three or four total ad breaks in this one but normally i just like let it play out look at my phone during the ads this one i muted it and kind of just looked off to the side, trying to stay in the the, the feeling yeah. of it. But I agree, I do not want to watch movies <laughs> like this on Tubi ever again. <laughs> there's our there's our cap, I think. Let's move on to our grid. Let's let's bring some lightness to the podcast on a very heavy episode. 
All right, what are our headers? Uh, so the column headers uh, are Tilda Swinton, three or more word titles, and released from 2000 to 2024. And then the row headers on the side are Bill Murray, Dakota Johnson, and John C. Riley. All right. And we're back. Foster, last week with Shane, we waited until the end to show our scores. Was that fun? Do you want to do that? Or should we just give them now? <laughs> um, we can... Uh, I think it'll be pretty obvious. Uh, okay. Because in this case, one of one of us got all nine and one of us did not. So let's just go through it and people can decide for themselves. Uh, Tilda <laughs> went and Bill Murray. Uh, okay. So this I was so stressed with this one because I was like, were they both in Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou? I couldn't remember if Tilda was in that one. And I looked it up and she was not in it. And I was so glad I did not put it. So okay. I put Moonrise Kingdom. For twenty point eight percent, twenty point eight. I did Grand Budapest, even though for some reason I can't picture Tilda in it. But really, yeah. Which she's the old she's the old woman with all the makeup and the huge spirally hair. Oh, duh, of course, yeah. Because she dies. Yeah. That's why I can't remember. Yeah. her. I don't know what sort of cream they put on you down at the morgue, but I want some. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh, uh, Darjeeling is my favorite Wes Anderson, but Grand Budapest, you could probably make the argument that it's the best. I love that one so much. I think most people do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're, you're the only person who says Darjeeling is the best. I love It's well, great, but... Yeah. I have like four or five Wes Anderson movies that I could feel... Yeah. I feel like I could make a convincing argument is his best. Um, Bill Murray, three or more word title. I like that it's... I, I like this category, by the way. Bill Murray. I put. I was. I was playing the system here. I figured not a lot of people would uh, would put this down for three or more word titles, but I did Go- Ghostbusters: Frozen Empire, which hasn't even come out yet. But it works. It does. Three point nine percent. Is that what you put as well? No. No. Oh, okay. Um, I put a very Murray Christmas for one point six. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I remember I started watching that with my dad one year, and then we were both like, "This is stupid," and then we turned it off. But I remembered it exists, so there you go. Uh, two thousand twenty twenty four. I put Broken Flowers, which is a Jim Jarmusch movie, and that was four mm-hmm. percent. I put On the Rocks, which is a Sophia Coppola movie, two point nine. Dakota what? Johnson. <laughs> That's not a Transformers movie or Fast and Furious. That's just a good no, pull. but I just feel like it's more recent, so I feel like it should be more popular. But whatever, whatever. I mean, it's recent okay. but not popular. It was like a pandemic Apple movie that no one cared about. I know. Uh, Dakota Johnson, Tilda Swinton. We were talking while we were paused. You um, thought of a different one that I don't even. That's not even coming to my mind right now. But I did a bigger splash. The Luca Guadagnino movie for twenty-seven point one. There must be a more obvious one. Suspiria. Yeah. Oh, duh. <laughs> I even <laughs> thought of Suspiria for Dakota Johnson. Uh, that's, uh, what, four different Tilda movies? Or Tilda roles? Oh, three? gosh, let's count. Yeah, there's one, two, three. There's at least three. It's three or four. So I didn't answer your question at all. <laughs> Hope that helped. <laughs> um, a little spoiler, but we may be talking about this movie at some point in the next couple months. Luca Suspiria? Movie coming out. No, uh, Bigger Splash. Oh, both, oh, yeah. oh, and both of those are Luca Guadagnino movies. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. sorry, I didn't even make that connection. Um, well, 
we were talking about Suspiria, and I was looking at my grid and saw a bigger splash, so that's why I said Well, that. you got my hopes up there for a second, doing a well, horror movie. Well, I've seen movie, Suspiria, but... and no, it's probably more well-seen. Anyway. It is too, yeah. It's too popular, yeah. Yeah. We're not normies, guys. <laughs> that's why that we do this podcast, to show that we're not normies. We talk about exactly. non-mainstream movies. Uh, that's right. Three or more words, Dakota Johnson. Suspiria? Bad times at the El Royale. <laughs> Uh, uh, that was 4.1%. Oh, that's somewhat of a, of a surprise that it's only 4. Nice one. I did The Lost Daughter for 2.3. What? Is that another one that's too recent? No, I just shake my head every time you get a better percentage okay, than me. Okay, okay, okay. Um, Dakota Johnson uh, released from 2000 to 2024. I put uh, friend of the of the show, How to Be Single. percent. <laughs> I, I didn't even think of it. What did you say the percentage was? 2 Nice, nice. I did Peanut Butter Falcon for 2.5. Okay, okay. Um, what did you put, uh, Robert, for John C. Riley and Tilda <laughs> Swinton? I'm curious. Uh, nothing. I got it wrong. I guess. Oh, bummer. I guessed Holmes and Watson because I know Ray, Ray Fiennes <laughs> was in that as, um, as uh, Moriarty. So I thought maybe they got another good British actor in there, but nope. That's a fair guess, I think. Uh, but yeah, it's we need to talk about Kevin, which um, honestly uh, thematically fits pretty well with the movie we talked about today. Uh, I think it's a great movie, but it's not very pleasant. Um, and yeah, that's the only option there. I yeah, I still haven't seen it, so it just I had no idea that John C. Riley was in it. Ezra Miller, play a- uh, Ezra Miller. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ezra Miller. Um, that's who it is, though, right? Yeah, you're going like uh, like you're doing like your attack the block accent. Um, I'm doing the the Batman animated series bad guy voice. <laughs> <laughs> um, so believe it or not, Tilda Swinton and John C. Riley play a married couple, um, like the most odd pairing you could possibly think of in the world. But I What's mean, they're believe both it or married. not, supposed to mean. <laughs> I don't know. It's just like you could have given John C. Me, like, Riley's too hot. He's out of five hundred guesses. Of I mean, that's it. I mean, Jonathan. <laughs> those curls <laughs> i know <laughs> making me blush um <laughs> oh man for jonathan three word titles what did you play uh what's eating gilbert grape he is in that isn't he um mm-hmm. one what, what was that percentage? oh man did this good one good one thanks i think we're we're zeroing in on who's gonna win this one uh, I put Kong Skull Island for 3.9. As if there was any tension left well, <laughs> after you, you missed the last one. <laughs> well, if you had put like a couple basic ones because you couldn't think of anything, because I was happy with most of my scores except for Grand Budapest. So I didn't know if, you know. What did you put? You put Kong Skull Island? Yeah, 3.9. Oh, okay. Uh, this is then... the one letterbox joke review, uh, one of my own letterbox joke reviews that I'm actually proud of and that I'll stand by. Um when I first saw it, I said, John C. Riley could do um, Apocalypse Now, but Brando could never do Kong Skull Island. And I was, <laughs> I was very happy with that one. Well done. Is I this where you were going to... What was the... You, you were mentioning you were going to do one with an ampersand? Was that yeah, I was going to do category? Holmes and Watson for that, yeah. Oh, okay. So transition to the next category. John C. Riley uh, from 2000 to 2024. I did Stan and Ollie, which also has an ampersand. Gotcha. So some absolutely solid ampersand representation <laughs> on the podcast today. Let's go. And that was 0.9%. Okay, good one, good one, good one. Uh, I put licorice pizza for 1.9. So that's I thought about that as well. 
That's good. I heard your voice in my head, not because you were talking to me, but like I imagined it. You were going to be like, oh, that one's too recent or something for Licorice Pizza, even though he's in one scene blink and you miss him. No, I think that's good because, like you said. Because it's not a deep cut. Everyone's seen Licorice Pizza. But not everybody realizes it's him. So I think that's a fair one. I'm trying to give you a compliment. Take it, man. I, I'll take um, it. I'll, I'll take it and run. Thank you. Thank you. All right. What's your score? Oh, that's right. Um, one second. Yeah, you know the game that we play on this podcast every, every week <laughs> that well, you I, came up with. <laughs> we switched it up. That's right. Um, I got a 23-34 top 18. That's pretty good for having missed one. I, I That's feel what like I'm when I miss you. one. That's what, yeah. yeah. Okay. I I'm twenty-four ninety-four, top four percent. Okay. Man, if I'd only known we need to talk about Kevin, could have really made it a game. Instead, I'm here thanking the listeners for listening and telling them that they could follow us on Letterboxd at Robert's Thoughts and at FOSCH one oh one. And that if they're enjoying the show, they should let us know. Subscribe, follow, uh, rate, review, share, listen over and over. Everything that you do for podcasts, just do it, please. We, we need listeners. Um, we, I'm going to move on from that bit. Uh, we'll see you next time as we talk about Personal Shopper, starring Kristen Stewart for the release of Love Lies Bleeding. <laughs>